Hi, my loyal listeners. Today, I wanted to give you a little bit of good news. Um, If you put in podcast 35, it's a code that'll work on my site through the end of April, and you can take advantage of some of my greatest and best items. The whole site is available to you. So I know shopping might seem crazy at this time, but that's how we pay the bills. That's how we keep all of our employees employed and stick around as a business. So I definitely and always appreciate your support. Thank you. Hi, everyone. You're listening to Superwomen. Today's guest is Jesse Alexander. I had the fortune of meeting Jesse in con on a yacht. Talk about goals. Uh, where I hosted a dinner there a few years ago, and she was someone I always wanted to stay in touch with. She never comes to New York. I never go to Nashville. But we got to talk today about her career writing hit songs for people like Miley Cyrus and Miranda Lambert and Cheryl Crow and launching her own album. So take a listen. Hi, everyone. I'm really excited today because I am here with a woman who I met very briefly in Cannes two years ago almost, Jessie Alexander. She is an incredible singer and songwriter. And I felt like we had a connection, even though we didn't really stay connected throughout that time. But I was like, she is rad. So I'm so happy you're here today. Oh, I'm so excited. So funny because you're like, if you're ever in New York, just stop by and do my podcast. And I thought, when would I ever be in New York? Well, here you are. Here I am. I've made a record and here I am. I didn't even, it wasn't even on my radar then. Wow. Yeah. But how, when did you make the record? So I started, you know, because I write songs every day for other artists and have had, you know, a wonderful career doing that and was kind of minding my own business, not planning on being a solo artist per se. But there was a few songs that came out that I felt like this isn't for Miranda Lambert. This isn't for Sheryl Crow. This isn't, you know, this is me. This is so me. And so I just went in the studio, we call demos, where you just kind of demo the song. The demos were sounded like album. It was like, no, this is not a demo. This sounds like a record. But I was still resistant. You know, I have three kids and I was like, why? Why would I do that? I have a great life, a great job where I get to sit in a small room every day, write songs for other people and watch them go work and perform the song. And then I just go to the mailbox. <laughs> <laughs> but I felt like this record, it I like to say, you know, I didn't write this record, it wrote me. There was something coming from deep within. And now that I know I've been playing the songs live and getting that reaction from women and, and men, it's like, oh wow, there's there's a purpose to this. And I'm just starting to unravel that. Wow. Yeah. So when did it come out? So it comes out March twenty seventh. Oh my gosh. hmm So we've had two songs come out. One called Mama Drank, which is kind of a funny life. Um, It's like, now I know why my mama drank. You know, it's totally biographical. And then the second one is um, Right Up Your Alley. It's a good, lonesome, sad, uh, (laughs) almost cheating song. But anyway, it's just a good old country song. Wow. And so then it'll come out. That's so exciting. Yeah, and then who knows? So how did you even get started in this business? I can't, yeah. like, you drop some names very casually, like, oh, Cheryl oh, Crow and Miranda, Miranda Lambert. Lambert. Like, yeah. that's not no one. Right. So how does that journey begin? Yeah. Well, I grew up in West Tennessee, very blue-collar, small town, just no one ever dreamed of doing anything that I'm doing. And uh, I didn't know that blue-collar kind of raising would actually become a huge advantage because in the music business, you have to have so much resiliency and ups and downs and highs and lows. But me keeping that grind work ethic really has helped. 
But I was like everyone, you know, I went to college. I was a social work major just because there was no songwriting major. There was no music business major for me. So I just started. Did you know you could sing at that oh, point? Oh, yeah. Okay. And I was already singing in bands. I was that girl that sang on every, I was in a bluegrass band, bluegrass band, a rock band, a soul band. I have strong influences in, because I'm from West Tennessee, right in the middle of Memphis and Nashville. So I had all the soul, blues kind of influence. And then I had traditional country, Grand Ole Opry type influence. So I moved to uh, Murfreesboro, which is right outside of Nashville, went to college. And in my fourth year of college, my professor pulled me aside and said, you need to quit school. Wow. I'm not even kidding. And I was like, wow. He's like, you know, so many people already, you already, college is holding you back from your career. And he was right. The second I moved to Nashville, I got my first backup singing gig. So I went on the road immediately. Wow. At 21. How did you get that gig? You knew someone who knew someone? I was going for a Reba McIntyre backup singing um, audition and didn't get it because I'm not a dancer. They wanted like someone that could dance. So um, I'm standing in the hallway at like a vending machine and a guy sees me. He's like, I don't know if he's kind of flirty or whatever, but he's like, what are you doing here? I was like, oh, well, I didn't get a gig, you know, I don't, I can't dance. He was like, well, I'm looking for a backup singer that sounds a little like, you know, I want to do like Emmylou Harris. And I'm like, this guy can't really, because, you know, I grew up on Emmylou. And I went in and auditioned and got the gig and was literally on a tour bus three nights later, played the Grand Ole Opry and was on a bus to Beaumont, Texas. I mean, it was the craziest. My, I never unpacked my bags in Nashville, my boxes. But it was almost a false start Cinderella story. Um, this happens a lot where you have that surge of, oh, my gosh, I should have been doing this all along. And I did that. But once his he got dropped from his record label and I was back to square one. And that started a long grind journey, really 10 years till I, you know, because I was, got a publishing deal as a songwriter and it was 10 years to the month for me to have my first hit, The Climb, Miley Cyrus. So wow, it, you know, I'd love to say it was all easy peasy, but those 10 years were hard as hell. Yep. So from 10 years and you go from being a backup singer, how did you even get your foot in the door to writing? Yeah. So his publisher, he was signed to Warner Brothers, Warner Chapel, and um, he would hear the songs I was writing on the road. And he just like, you got to hear this girl's song. She's a great singer, but you should hear songs. So his publisher signed me. That's typical in Nashville, too. For someone that's getting traction, publishers like to snatch up young gotcha. writers um, and help them, help them develop. I mean, I didn't have to get a day job. You know, I, I was one of those girls that had a million jobs in college, you know, Subway and the car auction and the bank and all. I, was, I worked everywhere. I was a hard worker. So for, for me to actually write songs and make money was incredible. Right. So through that, people would hear my voice on the songs and they're like, you need to be making records. So I got signed my first record deal, 2003. But sadly, my mom, who I'm an only child, she was diagnosed at 50 with ovarian cancer. And so I had this weird storm of like all my dreams coming true. And yet I'm having to be the caregiver to my mom, who's terminal ill with ovarian cancer. So that those years are just really bizarre, you know, like these highlights. It's like um, the highest highs, the highest lowest highs, lows. Meeting my husband, whom 
home with, you know, those years we've met, we moved in together, all these exciting things, me getting a record deal, getting, getting to tour, getting to sing on people's records. And yet my heart's like literally breaking and going through the darkest period of my life. It gave me a lot to write about. Oh my you know? gosh, lots to write about. That's I'm getting the chills because that's like I I, I don't know if I say have said this on the podcast, but like you think you think when you're younger that as you get older it'll be you'll love your parents less for whatever reason, you know? Right. I'm always like, ah, it'll be easier when they die because they'll be old. Right. But I'm like, oh my gosh, that that end that comes for everyone right. will be like the worst thing in the entire world. And I I wonder too. I always wondered. Is it better that I didn't know my mom very well? I didn't know her as an adult, really, you know? Right. I was too young to ask her her biscuit recipe or, you know, did she breastfeed me or did she not? Like, I don't know. I, my whole childhood's a mystery. Um, so, but I, but then again, I think about y'all that, you know, still have your parents and it's like you have so much more time to build memories and bond with them. So I don't, it, it's neither, right. neither are easy. Yeah. What happened after the record deal? Did you sort of have to say goodbye to it while you it took care of her? It was typical, you know, merger this, merger that. The guy that signed me got dropped. I mean, you know, Nashville, Music Row. That happens, though, in the music business everywhere. Um, be honest, by the time she passed away um, a year and a half later, and my record was out, and I'd given it my all— Things were changing in the music business. You got to realize back then there wasn't what we call Americana now, which would be artists like Chris Stapleton, Casey Musgraves. Those kind of artists didn't exist. You were either in Shania Twain kind of mode um, or you were like Sheryl Crow, Lucinda Williams, more rock alternative. So there really wasn't a spot for me. And in the meantime, I'd been writing songs, pouring my heart out, all these emotions out. And was getting cuts. And I started to see... What does getting cuts mean? Songs recorded okay. by other artists. Trish okay. Yearwood, Patty Loveless, all these people started recording my my songs. And I just, I was just busted. I was wasted from the years of my mom. My husband was doing really well. He won Song of the Year and the Country Music Awards um, for a song called Whiskey Lullaby. That was a huge Alison Krauss, Brad Paisley song. So he was doing really well. And we were thinking about getting married. And I think there was a part of me going, you know what? I gave it a good run. He's doing great. Maybe I should just stay home and get married and maybe have kids. Um, I I really would have given up. I really would have. I was kind of in that place. I think I would have always worked because I have such a strong work ethic. I would have been a hairdresser or done something. Right. But um, I believe, you know, I'm a very spiritual person. And it was like right towards the end, I was about to give up. And um I landed Hannah Montana movie and the song, The Climb, which I'd written about my struggles, wow. winds up being a 15-week number one hit, global. So bizarre. That's amazing. Yeah. It was like right when I was about to give up. So that obviously changed your mind? Changed my mind, but let me throw one more little ringer in there. So just because I never get to, it feels like in my journey, it, it's always a multitude of things happening at once. It's never just that. So at the same time that I'm watching The Climb go up the charts, pop, adult contemporary, country, Christian, five formats, I'm having my first child. Oh, my Lord. So, you know, it's like I can't go reap the rewards of The Climb. I'm learning how to swaddle right. and breastfeed. I don't have time to, you know, all these doors that had opened that I tried to push open for so many years were finally opening. 
but I just, I was buried. I was buried. Yeah. So that was kind of bizarre. When you came back out from that experience, I call it that first three months, were you like, hey, I'm here? And were people like, we've been waiting for you? Or were you, they were like, nah, we moved on. Maybe a little bit of both. (laughs) Yeah. I was kind of like, I'm here I am. And, um, you know, I've got this baby on my hip, you know, but they, uh, I, I made the best of it. It was a little of a weird thing, though, because growing up writing country music mainly, to have your first success not in the format you are trained, basically, to write in was kind of weird. Mm-hmm. And so for a minute, I chased that just because I was like, oh, that's what I should have been doing all along. So I wrote a lot of film and television, Tinkerbell and Princess and the Frog and a million Disney things. And... um through that, kind of got lost for a second and um, had to, I think maybe two years after that, I was like, I've got to get back to my roots, which is mainly country music. Yeah. And so I start hunkering down, reinventing myself, trying to show, no, 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 I don't write that. This is really what I do. Because um, I was wanting, what I found when I was writing for Disney, which, you know, now that we have kids, we get this, but they don't want depth. Right. You know? They want wings and dreams and heart and love and things like that. Whereas country music, I can talk about anything. Yeah. And so I needed to get back to that. And when I did, I found I was pregnant again. By the way, with twins. Was that a total surprise? Complete surprise. So you have twins somewhere in your family. No. It's, no. They're identical. So it's a oh. one in 10 million chance. I pulled the lottery ticket and I have two boys. Oh, my goodness. So now imagine... You know, I'm writing these songs. I think I'm never going to have another hit because I'm thinking, I know how hard one was. Two? Right. I'll never write again. Right. So the the month that I was pregnant with the twins, I wrote my song of the year, which is called I Drive Your Truck, that was went on to be a huge number one. Who sang it? His name is Lee Bryce. Okay. And then I wrote two of my number one Blake Shelton songs. So it, it was during that period that I was like, I'll never work again. These are the last songs I'll ever write. And they wound up being my biggest wow. songs. It seems like each time you are literally giving birth, yeah. your your best work comes out. And I'm done having babies, so I'm hoping that the birth of this record <laughs> <laughs> counts. Yeah, for sure. You know? Yeah. So what's it been like going from being in the studio, writing for others, to the mm. the the different sensation of being on stage and being the the talent? you know, that people are yeah. watching. Um, I'm just getting my sea legs. You know, I haven't done it. Tonight will be my first You're performing performance tonight? at Rockwood. <gasps> and um, so it's kind of new. It won't be new to be on stage. And I'm very comfortable on stage. Um, I got to say, the the only real word I can think of is excited. I mean, I can imagine it's a lot like you when you've you've been building uh, your new new branch of your brand or something that is just your base. So you, yep. it's everything about you. And so I'm just, every time I talk about it, I get giddy because it's not even that I'm like, this is going to make me rich. This is, this isn't about pride or ego. Um, I've won, I've, I've made it to my mountain tops. This is just fun. It's art. It's fun. And it just excites me. That's probably such a relief, right? Yeah. That you can just have fun with it. And that comes across far different than someone who's like just starting out and they need it to, yes. they need it to work to make it or to get to that next level. Cause you've, 
obviously been there for a while. Yeah. Like when I write with artists, I'm every day I'm having to serve their needs. They're like, I need a show opener. I need a song of the year. I need, and they have all these, this pressure because their career, you know, they need these certain slots, these um, songs for me, like I just, I have the dream job. I can help other people write their songs. And this is just another extension of my own artistry, mm-hmm. a little side hustle. I love it. Yeah. So do you write the vocals and the, I don't know what it's called. It's, uh, the lyrics the and lyric. the melody. Mm-hmm. Okay. Wow. Yeah. There are people that, that write just lyrics or write just melody. Um, I learned early on as a songwriter, especially a female in Nashville, that you have to play with the big boys because there's not many of us. And so for me, I couldn't imagine going in and not knowing how to play guitar and not knowing how to communicate a melody because I want to be able to say, if we're, if we're stuck or lost, I want to say, let me, let me show you. Right. This is what I hear. So it'd just be like if you were a designer and you didn't know how to sew. Right. Like, I had to learn. So I taught myself how to play piano and guitar. Wow. And um, When you were younger. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. And so it's been just a huge, you know, asset, I think, to be able to do that, to accompany myself without having to drag along a, a person. Yeah. And you mentioned briefly there's not many of you. So is it yeah. really a boys club? Is it? Yeah. It's, um, I would say, about 10, really. And, I mean, right now, I just saw the list, and there's um, of the number like top 10 country songwriters right now, there's four women up there. So it's better than it's ever been, I think. Um, But yeah, there's just so many more men that pursue it than women. And I'm not sure why that is. Um, And among the women, is there camaraderie or is it competition? Great camaraderie. We really look at it like um, everyone has their little strengths and I call it the tool belt because it's like, I have a hammer that they don't have, vice versa. They, We all have our little lanes, and it's really cool. For whatever reason, most female artists find a female writer, and they kind of tack on to them. That never happened for me. I kept thinking it would. Like, Carrie Underwood has a wonderful songwriter named Hillary Lindsay that's written most of her hits with her. Or like Miranda Lambert has um, Natalie Hemby. I just never had that. And so I had to find the back road to it. And mine were men for whatever reason. Blake Shelton loves my music and um, I've had more success with men. But yeah, there's a lot of great camaraderie. Really great. And when you launch a record like you're launching, do you call on the people who you've helped so much? You'd be like, all right, tables are turned, promote my record. Yes. It's been, (laughs) what's been wonderful is they've done it without me asking. Oh, that's beautiful. Which is really sweet. And like Cheryl Crow, I mentioned, she's a friend of mine and she's actually, so she's the opposite. She's like, I want to post today. Are you okay if I post this or this? You know, she's so sweet. She's always been a fan of, of my songwriting. I think everybody's excited because they've, you know, they know what all I've been through, what all I've done. They know this is just an extension of me. And um, yeah, they're, they're all showing up and it's been really, really sweet That's to watch. Awesome. Matthew McConaughey, because I work with him for a charity and he posted something that, you know, because I don't, I've never really chased the social media game because I haven't had to. So when this all started, because I don't have a record label, I, there's no way to put out this music, music except for social media. Wait, you don't have a record label. No. You're doing this on your own. Correct. Oh, wow. So yeah. how does that work? So I have a publishing deal. So I have a publisher But basically, I wanted to own my music. If I made this record through a record label, I couldn't 
let's say you wanted to use it for a commercial, that song, like usually if you have a record label, they own it and they license it. Whereas I wanted to have full ownership so that I could license it to whoever I want. And to be honest, just make more money. Now, yeah. Since it's not on the radio, it's not, you know, I haven't gone after country radio. It's going to be harder to make the money back because the way we make money is through streaming now. And for songwriters, that's, we're talking not even pennies. Like it's, if I haven't, I'll just put it this way. If, if I have a song on right, like right now I have a song at number 21, I think with an artist named Scotty McCreary, it will pay for this record because, you know, it's radio. You still get a lot. There's so many spins, so many radio stations, whereas streaming, it's just pin, like just, I don't even like. Wow. Minuscule. That's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy that radio is still that powerful. It's still king. Wow. We, and because of piracy, people, you know, stealing music online, that's made our jobs even harder. If you don't buy, you know, on iTunes or, you know, things like that, it's, we don't get paid. Like, for example, um, The Climb in 2009 was the most performed song on YouTube. Like, 2009, The Climb, Miley Cyrus is everywhere. People graduating or singing it, you know, it was everywhere. I got paid zero dollars. Wow. Just to put in perspective, that copyright made zero money on YouTube. That is so crazy. Mm -hmm. Wow. And so it was weird. I actually walked the halls of Congress that year trying to help fight for it. And uh, one of the staffers that were waiting on one of the senators come out and she was like, oh my gosh, did you see the climb was on Glee last night? And I was like, no, I was actually flying here. I missed it. She goes, it's okay. It's on YouTube. And I was like, exactly why I'm here. Uh, that's so painful. <laughs> it is. It is painful because I've seen how there used to be so many songwriters now. People are looking at it almost as a dying profession. Like, how are we going to get paid the, right. when radio dies? You know, what will happen? Right. So that's another reason why I did it on my own is just trying to make money where you can. Totally. Yeah. So... I'm asking this purely because I feel like inspiration must strike at any time of day. And do you stop and record something to yourself or do you write it down? Like, what is that creative process like for you? Yeah, so many ways. Uh, there's the way you just said, like, for example, the climb came to me, a melody. I was just driving down the road and I try to not have my radio on and try not to answer my phone because that's a, one of the only times in my day that I'm alone, <laughs> you know, with kids. And so that's a place where in the shower actually is another one where I can just feel free to like sing if you, you know. Yeah. So it's like, so I'm just, I'm just driving down the road and I'm like, there's always going to be another mountain. Always going to want to make it move. You know, like, I so didn't that just came. Well, it was it was that melody. I'm like, what is that? I kept thinking, is that Islands in the Stream? You know, is that, it sounds classic. I kept thinking the whole way I'm driving to work. I'm like, dun, 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 you know. And so I have voice memos on my phone where I'm always putting down pieces like that. And uh, lo and behold, you know, we write that. And, and you might find, okay, well, that melody kind of climbs. So you, you find that you'll use words. Or sometimes the melody will inspire a lyric. But the song that I wrote um, for Song of the Year, I Drive Your Truck, is another crazy example. Um, my co-writer, so I co-write a lot, and her name's Connie Harrington. She was driving down the road listening to NPR, kind of the middle of a segment about fallen soldiers, Memorial Day. And it was a dad talking about his son who he had lost in Afghanistan. They were placing flags. He was trying to 
keep these flags on these graves. And the interviewer at the very end said, so what are you going to do today to honor your son? And he just said, I have no idea what to do except just maybe go drive his truck. So Connie, just to give you an example where ideas come from, she that's all she had. She didn't even necessarily have the title, I drive your truck. But when she said that to me, I had a lightning bolt go through my body because knowing the grief that I've lived, not only with my mom, but my granddad when I was young, I knew right then and there, this was my opportunity to write about that. Wow. I knew I was like, she didn't realize, she didn't even know, like, oh, you've just picked the right, because I know how to write that song. I know what it's like to not want to go to someone's grave because you don't feel them there. You feel them you, you know, you feel, you know, maybe you smell their shirt or you sit in their car and you feel them there. Maybe you hear a song and that's that's where you feel them. And so that's what the song is about is um, what do you do with all this pain? You just go drive. And so, so many wounded warriors, soldiers of Gold Star families, which are the families that are left behind when someone passes. They've, I mean, I've had a whole nother side career of getting to be a part of that. Um, and I wanted to add, just so you can see full circle, crazy things that happened in my life, a film crew actually filmed us for a movie about songwriting. And they they were like, have you ever driven the truck? And I was like, no. They said, well, would you like to? And I said, sure. So they have on film flying me and Connie to Boston. And I get to meet Paul Monty, the guy oh, that wow. said it. I get to go in Jared Monty's, his son's room and put on his baseball glove. I get to drive the truck and it's all on on film so you'll have to check that out on amazon it's called it all begins with a song wow that's amazing yeah so incredible uh, to answer your question long version is just so many ways you know and then there's days i grind it out i literally start with nothing we have no idea someone needs an up-tempo drinking song and you just write the best you can do wow yeah so sometimes it's very not transactional but like i'm going to compare to when it a store comes in and is like, we need something really commercial versus like something you dreamed about. 100. And you want those too. You know, I, I want Pays depth. the bills. And I want <laughs> Pays pay- my bills. <laughs> I know, exactly. I have a song right now, Paying the Bills on the Country Charts. And then there's songs that that are my heart and soul that get buried on artist albums that right. weren't picked as the single. Right. And those are the heartbreaks. Totally. You know? I always hate that. Every time... I go through our canceled styles, and I'm like, oh, I love that this one. That was the one. Right? And you think, gosh, if they'd just seen it, they would have loved it. I know. know. I know. Same. Like, like little discarded babies. Yeah. And then you see the the charts of the other songs, and you're like, gosh, how does that song get to be number one? And this, you know. Yeah. It's a journey. It's a ride. But I've been doing it long enough that I've seen, I'm sure you too, like you've seen people come up, be the next big thing, and then their husbands, the next— the next time, you know, I want longevity. Yep. I want a career that is multifaceted and depth. And that's what this record is too. It's just another extension of it. So where we are, where are we buying this record? Not streaming it. Yes. Well, you can, you know, so because I'm now uh, own my own record, actually I will get paid well on Spotify and uh, Pandora but I would just go to iTunes, Apple Music, check out I'll Be Back Here, um, opening for Cheryl Crow at the Beacon Theater in um, April. And the album's under your name? Yes, Jesse Alexander. It's called Decatur County Red. It's where I'm from. Check out I'll Be at Seven Peaks Festival with Dirk Bentley and 
um, all kinds of things. You can just go on my Instagram, which is Jessie L. Alexander. Awesome. Yeah. I have two questions okay. before we stop um, that I ask everybody, but what is something we'd be surprised to know about you? It can be personal, it can be embarrassing or not. It can be business related. I think I'm not, I used to be embarrassed about this, but I'm not anymore because the guilty pleasure has just turned pleasure and it's The Bachelor. Oh my gosh, you're a Bachelor fanatic. I, 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 I'm not <laughs> sure if I'm fanatic yet. Okay. But uh, I found it actually in my second pregnancy. I think I was the twin hormones. I was just, you know, stricken and I was just looking for anything. I had a toddler and for whatever reason I got into it and yeah, it's pretty bad. That's hilarious. I know. And it's so like, I guess too, I'm writing heavy stuff all day long. Right. This is your respite. It's like my space. Totally. So that's, there you go. And what's one piece of advice either you've learned or um, someone told you that's been a good, good that you want to pass on? Okay, well, I'd like to share one that um, I didn't get a lot of adult wisdom from my mom because I was so young. But I do love one of the big piece of advice I remember getting from her. This was when I first was starting to make money, getting a publishing deal. I was having to pay my own taxes, like pay my own bills. And I, it was a disaster, Rebecca. I mean, I was like, I'm the worst with money. Like, I don't spend a lot of money, but paying my bills, doing it on time, all the organizational things. I'm just a nightmare. I need to just be creative. And I'll never forget, like, months of this was going by. And and my, I would just, my lights would get turned off, not because I didn't have the money, because I just didn't pay it. And my mom gave me the biggest, best advice. She was like, Jesse, not everybody is good at everything. That isn't your strong suit. So maybe it's time to find someone that can help you with that, which has gone on into my life now. Whenever things I'm like, God, I'm just trying to fit a square into a round hole. Like I'm just trying so hard to be the good at this when there's just people that are better at it than me. So I guess to wrap that up, like delegate, delegate things when you're not good at something, find someone that can help you yeah. and not try to do it all. Cause I'm one of those people that wants to to be good at everything or try my best at something and yep. make it work. Yeah. But I've learned, okay, I'm not the best at that. I love that. Mm-hmm. That's good because I also am the same way. Like, I'm like, I'm definitely not good at this. We're going to hire for it or, you know, find someone that can help. Yeah. And then you're just faster and you can lay more bricks. It really helped with parenting <clears throat> and motherhood because I've seen all along like, okay, I'm Definitely not the girl that's going to make the cupcakes for the Valentine's party. <laughs> but when it comes career day, like, I'm going to hopefully inspire. Yep. I can go and I can do that. And I can give back in the ways that I can give back. Yeah, it's okay to not be everything. Yeah, and like with my kids, like, you know, maybe I'm not so good at, you know, having everything perfectly laid out the night before. But I really come through and it talk when we're talking about their day or their emotion, you know, so... Just finding your strengths, yep. weaknesses. I love that. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, thank you. That was Jesse Alexander. I hope you enjoyed and definitely download her new music. You can also stream it wherever you listen to things like Spotify and Pandora. Uh, celebrate her new album. 